welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast with me, Andrea Fox. This is the environmental podcast that asks, WTF is going on with the planet and what can I do? Today we have an awesome guest, Daniel Webb from Everyday Plastic, who saved every piece of plastic for a year. Find out what the hell he did with it all in a second. First up, some environmental news and Prince William has been interviewing Sir David Attenborough. This happened at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. My invite clearly lost in the post. The legendary broadcaster spoke to the Duke of Cambridge about the creeping disaster of climate change, capitalism and caring for the natural world. As well as this, he also challenged business leaders at the event to move beyond guilt and blame and instead focus on the practicalities of preventing climate change from reaching catastrophic levels. King Attenborough there, keeping it real. I will link to this in the show notes if you haven't seen it yet. On to today's guest, because it's a brilliant episode, really long one today, because we had a really great chat. And it's actually someone who's been on my hit list to interview ever since we started. Daniel Webb from Everyday Plastic decided to save every piece of plastic for a whole year. Now, not only did he create a beautiful mural from all the plastic waste he created, but more importantly, he teamed up with a scientist and created an amazing and very revealing report as well. It's called What We Throw Away and Where It Goes, which you can download from the website everydayplastic.org. We talked about what he discovered, what Daniel thinks needs to change, and his big plans for the Everyday Plastic project. Also, we talked about crisps. Like, a lot. But we started our chat with how the idea for the Everyday Plastic project came about. I suppose the moment that really kicked it off for me um, was running along the coast and just really kind of seeing a lot of plastic washed up uh, in the seaweed. There was just loads of tiny little bits that kind of just jumped out. You know, they're fluorescent, they're red, they're blue, they're all different colours. They're recognisable shapes like bottles and, you know, some of them come with different languages on them. Uh, There are bread tags and you realise that bread tags kind of went defunct in the 1970s. Um, So it really started to strike me that these things just exist for a long time um so along with along with that kind of going home trying to be more responsible with my plastic waste and not having that ability because my local council the Thanet district council yes they were pretty rubbish right well yeah they're rubbish at rubbish Sorry, Thanet you know council. <laughs> um that's but, a terrible strap line for them but it works <laughs> rubbish at rubbish um i wasn't offered any recycling at, at my flat so i was just kind of I was really stuck about what I was going to what it was going to do with all all this crap that I had in my in my bin. Um, so I'd actually saved up quite well a bag of plastic to take to the tip. And when I got there, I was just told to chuck it in the household waste. So yeah, I, I, it really started staying with me every time I went to the supermarket. I live four hundred meters from an Aldi, uh, where nothing comes without any plastic packaging you really just start to connect with everything and sort of once you come online to it you really can't come off from it so so all of these things were going around my head and you know I kind of like a a little little project so um (laughs) I sort of decided that I, I wanted to find out more about this 
issue and I was reading more about it. I mean, this was pre-Blue Planet, but... You were ahead of the curve there with David Attenborough. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was starting to pick up a bit of pace, though. Blue Planet came out at the end of 2017, so I'd almost... It was probably 19 bags of plastic <laughs> in by then. Um, but it really... I mean, if, I, if I'm totally honest, you know, this project would have it'd been harder to get off the ground had it not been for the mass public awareness that the Blue Planet brought. Mm. Everyone's sort of focused on trying to, to communicate this in their own way. And I suppose this is this is my way of trying to help people to, well, to start with, help me connect and understand the problem. And, you know, what I really wanted to do was help other people connect with it on a very personal level. Yeah, I mean, no one can imagine when you break it down into like this was these are how many pieces were actually recyclable it's amazing because you collected 4,490 pieces in a year yep exactly and you kept that in your house I kept all of those in my house yeah 22 bin bags um, <laughs> it was in total so do people think you're a bit crazy with friends and family and yeah, colleagues like what so are you doing to start with they just were like why are you doing this what's what are you doing and at the time, I didn't really know what I was going to end up doing with it. You know, it was to start with, I just wanted to keep it out of the environment and, mm. you know, not throw it away. So that was how it started. And then I realised that this collection of waste has to tell a story somehow. But, you know, going back to what you said, it's really hard to imagine billions of something. One of the things I was struggling with was I can't imagine how many fish are in the sea. Mm. I don't know how much the whole planet's fish stocked way and I don't know what things are going to be like in 2050 I'm going to be 70 you know that these were very abstract to me so what I really wanted to do was to kind of bring down these numbers to, and and start smaller and then we could look to see how we can make those bigger when you start with something small and then apply it to some you know the UK population then that's when we can start to kind of get a grip on it a little better yeah, and that is kind of what you did, because actually you were better than the average. And I love the stat that basically, is it as a country, the plastic would be the height of the shard? Yeah, so if you... So that I can imagine, because <laughs> I've lived near it and I've seen yeah. it in London. Yeah, exactly. So I really wanted to determine how how average my consumption was. So I met Dr. Julie Schneider. Yes, through who, social media. Through social media. It's actually God, good for something because you're not a scientist and you've created a scientific report. Yeah. So I'm hoping that it sort of strikes the balance between, you know, science and something that's very accessible. Mm. Um, Dr. Julie, I, I mean, I really lucked out by meeting her. Yeah, um, tell me about how that came about. She, um, I put a post on Facebook in September 2017, I think. And say my spare room's so, full of plastic so, someone, please help yeah me. someone shared it got it, you know it got shared quite widely and I was looking for researchers and this that and the other and she came through someone that I know on Facebook and don't know that well on Facebook to be honest and she she had done a lot of work around the relationship between fracking and plastic production and she was someone who was very environmentally conscious mm. anyway and she just really liked the idea of the project um, and that I wanted to, you know, I was saying, I want to find out how much oil's in it and how how recyclable it is and what percentage is single use and, you know, how do we define single use? And, you know, and I was like, I don't know how to do that. And she, you know, luckily she did. And so I think between us, we made it actually a really good team because she's so meticulous and honest. And, you know, I, I've had a career in marketing, so, you know, I quite like to embellish sometimes <laughs> uh and 
she wouldn't allow anything like that so anyone who's who's reading this or who has read it and particularly you know i have sent this to mps and and businesses but i think people can be assured that everything in here is accurate and it's based on publicly available data uh, most of it which is released by the government i really want it to to have that impact and sort of to, for people to understand that this is the reality of the situation yeah because there are some amazing facts and figures and when you had to go through and work out what kind of plastic everything was and i've covered this in our recycling hieroglyphics podcast episode it's so hard I was thinking, oh, I'm going to find all these rules of that this is exactly what you should do in your recycling. And it's so different up and down the country and it's so hard to work out what everything is. And you went meticulously through with Dr. Julie mm. and worked out what everything was to get to these hard facts and figures. Yeah, so we literally started with the 20-odd bin bags and we luckily had about 20 volunteers over the course of three days. And to start with, we just said, right, chuck the hard plastics on the right and the soft plastics on the left. So hard plastics include things like bottles, yogurt pots, toothpaste, tubes. On the left, you've got your salad bags, parcel bags, bubble wrap, that kind of stuff. So that was the first thing that we did. And then after that, you know, we said, right, separate the bottles, the pots, um, the tubes, you know, anything else, you know. So, yeah, we ended up with about 100 and... 20 different subcategories um wow but when you're you know recy <laughs> recycling hieroglyphics i think is an absolutely brilliant term thank you you can use that <laughs> yeah i'm gonna take that <laughs> but i think I, I think that's exactly right you know there are things that people don't understand and i don't blame anyone for not understanding them because i still don't really get them the um, triangle with the, the numbers people yeah are like that means it's recyclable but, i'm like no yeah it's just but it's a tiny it it's a tiny embossed um, thing get on your microscope on, out. It, you have your to get your microscope on. out. You have to hold it up to the light. You have to, you know, squint. You know, what's the point in it? It's not clearly labelled. So yeah, like you say, the, the sort of the triangle with the cyclical arrows just gives it a, a vision that it's recycled when realistically it's not. So yeah, we started separating everything out into those different types. So the resin identification code, I think it's called. So yeah, but they're based on what the plastic's made of, you know, PET, HDPE, PP, which Dr. Julie has helped me sort of come to terms with. God bless God Dr. bless Julie. Dr. Julie. And yeah, so I suppose that's what sort of gives it the feel. So when you hold a, a milk bottle, that sort of the cloudy HDPE, that's that's what that is. But HDPE can also come in a flimsy plastic form. The PET is kind of crunchy, quite quite clear. Um, and then you've got the polypropylene, the PP. That's some, you know, big yogurt pots. But then you can get yogurt pots that are also made of polystyrene. So munch bunch, those snappy ones there. So, you know, it's a minefield, you know. I think people should take an interest and sort of, understand to a certain degree but the information really isn't there and it's not digestible enough for yeah. people to really grasp and people to, to want to grasp and spend the time on doing people have other more important things to worry about you know like feeding their children or yeah. paying, paying their rent, rent. Yeah. <laughs> exactly this is what i always get down to with people yeah. I've, life is hard enough people are recycling thinking mm. that they're doing their bit we can't all be dr julie and yeah. be geoscientists yeah and we shouldn't have to be mm. and i think the more we talk about recycling and what it really means which we should get onto in a second because i think you've used some quite damning language about our recycling system in the uk and i completely agree with that mm. um we need to be more aware that what we think is being recycled isn't 
because there were some amazing stats when you went through all of those 20 bin bags, those three days with your team. Was it something like the amount that was actually recycled in the UK was very, very small? Yeah. We started by determining what, in a best case scenario, was recyclable in mm-hmm. the UK. So all our figures apply to the UK. Yeah and the recycling facilities here. So to start with, if everything that was recyclable was recycled, what figure would that be? Only 30% is recyclable. So so 70% of the stuff in that pile was just plastic that we can't do anything with. That we can't with, do anything with, no. Which is crazy. And, which, and is that stuff like the flimsy stuff you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, and this is what, you know, we're, talk, we're talking about this based on number of pieces, which yeah. which is a conscious decision for us to do it by number of pieces because a lot of recycling and, and waste is actually reported in weight. Whereas I think that gives... Well, it can be quite misleading in terms of like how much is actually entering the environment. So if you think of plastic film, so plastic film, so the salad bags, frozen peas, Mm. weighs a lot less than a plastic bottle. So by number of pieces, the amount of plastic film that I have is 47%. By weight, we're looking at around 30%. So you sort of see the difference in figures there. And, you know, I I actually didn't use any plastic water bottles. Yes, because you were actually slightly, you were environmentally conscious before you went into this. So you had, you were slightly below the average of what the normal person in the UK would create in terms of plastic waste. Yeah. Yeah. So, so slightly below average. Yeah. And (laughs) and probably, yeah, because I didn't use water bottles. Yeah. And had I've used water bottles, had I been on average, then I probably would have pumped it up a few few pieces few yeah, kilograms which you do cover in the report yeah. as well of like actually this would yeah. be more like and i suppose that's going back to your earlier point about you know determining how average my consumption is that was really important to us was to to figure out how average my consumption is and if it is around the average then that gives us a lot more weight in in sort of applying those figures to the rest of the population and also how we report these figures and how you know how they should be taken at face value so I suppose going back to that big mountain of plastic that mm. we visualised, you know, 4,490 pieces, if you apply that to the UK population, then that is 295 billion pieces. So that means as a country oh. that we're throwing away. So yeah, that if and we... that is lo- big and hard to imagine at the same time, but yeah, you're putting it into... Yeah, yeah, it, it's... It is hard to imagine and it's gross as well, you know. It's like if you imagine that plastic mountain that reaches as high as the shard and covers at the bottom a diameter of over a kilometre uh, and that's just one year of consuming the way that we do. How and did then, you feel when you looked at all of that plastic? I mean, that this that was the moment when it really hit home for me was when we'd separated everything into into these different categories and we covered the floor of a of a venue in Margate, it's a place called Dreamland, and there's a music venue there. And, you know, I, I don't know how big it is. It's, okay, it's yeah. a music venue. Yeah. It holds 2,500 people. So, yeah, that was when it really hit home for me. It's like, whoa, this is frightening. And I think the reaction that I had from people who came to see it and visit it was the same. And, you know, it's 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 very sort of visceral. It's it's horrifying. It's It's at the same time. It's also very beautiful because there's so many colours and shapes. And, you know, when you look at, you know, 160 crisp packets, um, all of different colours, you know, it's, it stokes some memories and it stokes senses and, and, and all this kind of thing. But the reality is that there's no difference in the packet from when it was on the shelf. 
the only thing is different that it doesn't contain anything so i think we have to start picturing these things that we hold in our hands as pieces of rubbish before we've even chucked them away um and pausing to to think about you know spending time to actually connect with this i'm not saying you know pick up a bag of crisps and look at it and just close your eyes and meditate on its on its future you know it's or, or its legacy but you know you know when you go shopping just think about what you actually want what you actually need yeah. um you know we live our lives so quickly now the things that we're just piling things on the shelves into our basket out in an hour there you go done and again i don't blame people for for that um it's a culture that i think we've we've embraced but has also been sold to us you know a supermarket is designed to have everything in one place for you now so you know your visit to the supermarket is your two hours where you go and buy a new top you can buy some compost you can do anything you want in a supermarket yeah you know the convenience store yeah it's a convenience store but that's again that's like a term that's Where's that come from? Yeah. You know? And we were talking just before we started recording. Um, I read about um, your project and I tried to do it for a week, save every piece of plastic, and we mm. were moving house at the time. And it was quite terrifying. And I was doing things like taking plastic cups home from gigs. And my husband was like, you're insane. And after about a week, I had to just go, I, I I can't deal with this right now and moving house. But when you talk about things like thinking about those crisp packets and looking at it, it was quite eye-opening to look through those things. And I think Alison Ogden-Newton uh, on a previous podcast from Keep Britain Tidy, she's talked about how much stuff goes to landfill and um, Joe Ruxton as well from a Plastic mm. Ocean film was saying that there is no away. And I think what you're saying is the same thing, isn't it? You have to kind of go, well, if I buy this crisp packet, I know now that that's not recyclable and it's probably going to outlive me. So what can I do to change that? It's a lot, isn't it's, it? It's difficult to, you know, I love eating crisps. They're delicious. I stopped buying <laughs> them when I realised, for a little while, when I realised that they're actually really hard to recycle. Yeah, yeah. I'm that, Roman I mean, Catholic raised, so <laughs> I have the, a lot of guilt. I think that's why my husband is more, easy, a, more easily able to go, yeah. what is this bag of plastic you've been keeping for a week? Can we yeah, get rid of it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's difficult, and the only way to help solve this issue is to reduce what is produced and reduce what is consumed that is you know there are a lot of other solutions that are being sort of touted obviously recycling but you know other other things such as sustainable materials paper you know these are just sort of replacements for for plastic they're not going to solve solve any problem in the long term they're they they have their own impact on the environment and the only way at the moment is to stop what we're actually using consuming and buying you know, and that pains me to say that because I like eating crisps and I like having a <laughs> chocolate hobnob and, you know, I like, you know, lots of things that come wrapped in plastic. But, mm. you know, I suppose where I've lived like this for two years or more now, you know, it can be done. You can make sacrifices, easy sacrifices in other parts of your life, um, which, you know, might enable you to, to treat yourself to a bag of hula hoops now and then if you want. But yeah, you you do have to acknowledge that once you throw that empty bag of hula hoops away, empty bag of delicious hula hoops, and then realistically it's going to get burnt or it's going to get mm. landfilled or it could end up going abroad. So I think as long as you, you're aware of that, then that helps, you know, ha having that knowledge will help us to make more responsible decisions and 
justify our choices more. Yeah. And I think we're going to dive into some of your tips and a little bit more on consumerism in a second. But you're right, we do need to cover recycling. You've called it a sham, I think, and a con. Strong words that I have to say I agree with. Um, There was something like 59 pieces in your collection of over 4,000 were actually made from recycled materials. So if we're putting stuff in the recycling bin, what's happening to it? Well, yeah, that, I suppose that comes back to what we were saying again, you know, looking at the best case scenario that 30% of everything that I collected was recyclable. Then we have to start looking at what is going to be collected. So what is actually taken away? So because there's 400 plus different local authorities in this country, um, all with differing collection rates. And we also have to remember that sometimes plastic isn't just going to end up in the in the collection box it's going to end up in the normal bin it escapes um there's so many different ways for plastic not to end up um in the collection bin so 10 percent of that would we say would be collected so once it's been collected then that's the bit that we kind of wash our hands of it and yeah, like kind only of 10 percent. yeah well. only 10 percent would be collected so what happens to that once it's been collected based on the data that we analysed and used as references, Mm -hmm. that 4% would be recycled in this country. So 161 pieces of my 4,490 would actually be recycled here in the UK. I find that one of the most shocking things I read in your report. And the rest of it, the rest of the, you know, so over half of it, 6% plus, is going abroad, which I find quite upsetting. It's a bit and like we can't deal with our own crap, isn't it? We can't oh, yeah. deal with we're our own crap. And we're finding and, it away you know, I said Malaysia. this the other day, we're, you know, we're a nation who's trying to, to enact the will of the people and become a sovereign nation, and we can't even deal with our own rubbish you know we have to you know that is a great brexit point can i just point i, just I'm want, use I wanted that. to get a brexit point in <laughs> yes <laughs> but um yeah so let's just say four percent mm. that's just what it is so when we we counted everything we looked at what items were made from recycled material so we can identify that because it has a code on it called rpt so recycled pet i'm going to become such a geek looking at <laughs> um so out of everything, only 59 pieces were made of recycled materials. So that's 1.3%. So I think I would have just expected that everything that was recycled, okay, it's not very good, 4%, but why isn't 4% appearing back on the shelves or even, you know, or more? And it's because, you know, a lot of the plastic is of such low quality and it has little value to um, a processor that it just ends up being sort of downcycled, as we call it, which is... You know, it's turned into park benches or it's put into drains. Um, It's turned, uh, you know, into low value products that kind of serve a purpose for whatever. But it's not appearing back on our shelves. So it just shows you how reliant we are on freshly made plastic. So virgin plastic, which, of course, is made of oil and gas. Plastic is where the fossil fuel industry is probably seeing a larger share of its profits coming in the next 20 years or so. You know, we're seeing a rise in renewable energy. Germany's investing a lot in renewable energy, you know, as are other nations um, and, you know, electric cars. So the fossil fuel industry, sadly, isn't just going to go, OK, well, let's leave that oil in the ground. Mm. It's, it's not needed right now. We can save it. So, you know, this is where they they see their future. You know, they've invested $180 billion in the last sort of less than a decade in plastic production plants. Um, and the value of the plastic production industry in the next five years is set to be about $280 billion, whereas oh. the global recycling industry is going to be about $40 billion. 
and that's not just plastic alone that yeah. is paper glass, everything yeah. yeah um so you see where you know recycling's an afterthought anyway plastic wasn't invented to be recycled it was invented because it's quick it's cheap and it's easy to make once you know we started to realize that this is a very durable and flexible material that doesn't degrade in the same way or can be you know we we don't know what to do with it then that's when we start thinking about recycling but it's never ever 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 going to be able to deal with the amount of plastic and particularly plastic packaging that is produced and i suppose that's that with the value of the two industries kind of just shows that recycling at the moment is discussed as a solution with such sort of zeal by policymakers and businesses that um it's kind of blinding the rest of us i think whereas what i really want to to help people to understand is that this is not a long-term solution and it never ever will be there is value in it for sure um and i would hate i would never discourage people from recycling but there is so much to know about what you can recycle and what you can't um you know i i still speak to people you know friends of friends and and you know anyone who talks to me about this who just shoves everything in there all plastic in their their plastic bin and that impacts on the the sort of the ability of recycling because it it's it's sort of you know managing waste it's managing rubbish essentially you know a salad bag can't be recycled people will argue that all plastic is technically recycled recyclable but recyclability doesn't just cover what is technically recyclable it's access and infrastructure so you know that's that's it's not a valid point um but yeah i I think i you know i really want to to help people to to understand that and and really see that recycling is not the answer you know i think we're we aren't being told the truth and i think julie and i sort of debated about whether we say we're being lied to about recycling or we're not being told the truth and i think we're not actually being told the truth here Mm. you know they're two very different things we're being misled I think, um, you know, lied to would be, well, it's a lie. I think a bit that, more that, malicious. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Whereas the government and the industry can define recycling as, as something very different to how I define it. Yes, because you do do that in the report. You go into depth of like, this is how we are considering the term recyclable. Yeah. And I was like, never really thought about having to define it before, but yeah. you're right. But I think it's important to do because the government define recycling as what is collected so there's lots of things that happen under that sort of definition so yes some of it is recycled most of it it, well it it counts that everything that is collected it's exported and downcycled so you've got four sort of Mm. end goals for for plastic which i don't really buy i mean that's not that's not how i see recycling that's you know i I don't see recycling as something being bailed up and sent to malaysia or vietnam or even france or spain to you know, be that, burnt or yeah, anything like and that, and that's as well. what happens to it. You know, mm-hmm. pe- you know, the Netherlands and Sweden buy a lot of our plastic because yes. they burn it. Yeah. They use it for energy. And I think it should make people angry mm. because that's not the truth. You're not being told the truth about what happens to what you chuck away. You are told to put your plastic into a blue box that is then collected outside your house or your flat that is then taken to be recycled. Mm. You know, people make decisions based on or what is recyclable, and they may spend more money on different things. You know, they make conscious decisions based on its recyclability. So we, we should be getting annoyed about this because it's something that isn't right. It's not, yeah. it's, not, it's not being acted on in the correct way. And we're not being, again, not lied to, but they're not being truthful. No. So where do you think the change needs to come from? 
Because the government did announce that some changes that are going to come in in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I think a central sort of recycling policy would be beneficial, kind of takes away the ambiguity of what can be recycled. In reality, I can't see that happening because... Really? Not, not quickly. Not enough investment is being, is being provided to do that. You know, we're having to sort of battle against this, you know, so local authorities selling plastic to other countries is, a, is an income for them. Wow. So at the moment, China's stopped buying our plastic. I think Thailand and other countries out in East Asia are stopping as well, and it is impacting on local authorities' budgets. So, um, so you know, all, all of these different things actually have a huge impact on what, what happens. Everything's connected, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, recycling, you know, we, we saw in the budget in the, the end of October that they're investing £20 million in recycling infrastructure and innovation, which compared to what they subsidised the fossil fuel industry, which came out was to over 10 billion a year wow you know, where's it it's not going to touch the sides i mean it's it's almost a gratuitous grant in, in, a, in a sense it's not going to solve any problems very quickly do you think um, it's just sort of lip service and pr honestly i think that people do care about this issue um and you know no one wants to see crap on the street or on the beach or anywhere outside the house, which is sadly what we're completely faced with today. Even if recycling was improved by 100, 200, 300, 400%, it's still not going to be able to cope with the amount of crap that we are producing. You know, and I don't defend local councils, but I understand that, yeah, their budgets are tight and, you know, their resources are low. But, you know, even if there was a sort of you, know, you doubled the amount of bins or you increased the, the ability of recycling, it's still not going to be able to, to cope with it. There's still too much heading into the stores, There's is still that what too, you mean? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's too much. It's too much to deal with. You know, and we've, we've got to a point now where we're so used to it. Convenience is so convenient, mm. in a sense. Um, um, I go out of my way to go to zero-waste stores now, but I know my husband mm, won't. Mm. And I think, actually, a lot of people like that, like you say, life is hard. Yeah. What, we, do we need the supermarkets on board to make a big, big sea change when it comes to food packaging? Yeah, 100%. You know, you can almost see the correlation between the rise of supermarkets and the rise of plastic packaging. Down um, those hula hoops, those tasty, tasty I know, I know. It's sad, and I, I am sad about it, you know, because these I'm are things, these are things well. that I enjoy and, mm. and I, I should be able to enjoy. Mm. Um, but this is what I've said on the podcast before. We didn't make it, and we would love for it to be recycled or for it to just... Be made from another material. Mm. But what can we do? I think supermarkets have um, a big responsibility, definitely. You know, you mentioned like a zero-waste shop. Zero-waste shops are, I think they're still seen, well, there's certainly not enough of them. You know, they're independent, so they have to make money. So essentially, things are going to be more expensive. You know, I remember seeing i was at a place in brighton and i, I popped in is just, that hisby yeah yeah hisby yeah. um which you know hats off to them for for doing it but you know i saw that you could buy bran flakes and if i wanted to buy the equivalent of a box of bran flakes that i'd buy in the supermarket it would have cost me about six quid 
I like bran flakes, but I don't like them enough <laughs> to spend six quid on them. And that's the that's the problem, which is obviously not their fault, but it's the economies of scale that supermarkets can deal with. And this is the thing that I'm like, if it's not something that everyone can do, mm. then not everyone's going to adopt it. We tried um, lush toothy tabs for a while, and then we realised yeah. we would have to spend about £400 a year on toothpaste yeah. to replace a tube. Yeah. So we've gone to the stand-up plastic ones, which are apparently, according mm. to Recycle Now, easier mm. to recycle. Mm. But yeah, it's it's difficult. Yeah, I think it, it is. Um, but yeah, there's no sort of subsidies or incentives for zero waste or bulk buying shops. Do you think there should be? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, if you chuck a financial incentive in there, then you'll start seeing supermarkets get on board with sort of bulk buy. You know, p- pasta and rice don't need to be in a bag. You know, you, they're not they're, gonna go off. They're in a bag. So you can buy, you know what you're buying. Yeah, you so know, you don't have to put it in your yeah, pockets. You don't. You know exactly what you're spending on it. So dried goods like this should be available bulk buy. And vegetables, there'll always be an argument about how long plastic will keep a cucumber alive or good. But realistically, it's probably a couple of days maybe in it. Um, but also think about when you buy a bag of potatoes... You buy a kilo of potatoes because you want to make it like a roast on a Sunday. You use three out of 12 maybe. And then, you know, a week later, they're all sprouting and you chuck them away. You know, if you want three potatoes, buy three potatoes or a handful of spinach. Loose veg. Yeah. I don't see why everything has to come in plastic packaging mm. in, a, in a sort of fruit and veg aisle. When you look at supermarkets like Morrison's and Iceland, both independently owned, still family yeah, owned, and they're the yeah. two two supermarkets that are probably doing the most uh, for this issue. Sainsbury's, Tesco, you won't hear a peep out of just because it's not high on the agenda. That that should help impact people's buying decisions. You know, um, I think that's so sad because being the big players, if they had like a zero waste aisle, yeah, you know, I I think exactly like you say get in on this now you know mm. businesses should really be going okay this is an issue and um it's a customer need it's not a fad mm. this is what customers want they don't want to be filling their bin full of crap and food every week which is all coming from from the supermarket why wouldn't any business want to get on board with this now yeah get um, ahead of the curve be yeah kind just, of an yeah, environmental just, yeah champion. because people you know in 10 20 years everyone will be will be there so we talked about a little bit about subsidies. How do you feel about the idea of banning things, banning polystyrene? Um, that would have banning, any yeah. I think banning riles people up. I mean, if you, mm. you know, I do think people need help in in having these, this, you know, in some decisions made for them. You know, you look at the plastic bag tax. I know that there's still a lot of plastic bags being sold, and you know, there's arguments for. You know, swapping a tote bag for a plastic bag and how, what its impact is on, you know, a plastic bag is essentially the most environmentally friendly means of like using <laughs> like a, a plastic bag or a bag, which is crazy. But that is, yeah. Um, I guess, are you talking about like in terms of cotton and yeah, in terms of paper, CO2 and, for paper? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So again, I don't know how to solve it. I'd take a rucksack to, to the supermarket and I don't usually buy, you know, I don't have a family. I, you know, I live with my girlfriend, but generally we don't go and do big shops. So Same. <laughs> I, I don't know, banning banning's a, a funny, funny game. And I think, um, but yeah, just talking about the plastic bag, um, you know, people would have moaned about that for a, a week or two and then just go, all right, uh, fine, I'll pay for, <laughs> I'll pay 5p or I'll just bring my own from home. Yeah. So I think, 
you know, attitudes what... change, don't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. I mean, people got used to not smoking indoors anymore. Exactly, and I think people get over it, and people realise that there's other things to worry about oh, yeah. than like spending fifteen p on three plastic bags. So, do you think consumers do have a lot of power? Yeah, I do think we have a lot of power collectively. We definitely do, especially when it comes to sort of buying. And I think I'd encourage anyone to have their own voice on this and, you know, communicate in their own way. And even if it's just sort of changing a circle of friends, um, swapping out bottles or just helping them to rethink how they shop. You know, I suppose just thinking then, you know, I was a guy who, you know, I'd I'd go to Kiehl's and I'd buy, you know, I'd have my I'd have my uh, my skin tested and they'd go. Yep. So I think what you need, you've got you have slightly oily skin. So. Yeah, why don't you have try this facial wash mm. um, and exfoliator three times a week? Put this facial toner on, then moisturize, then put this uh, like eye cream on, and, and you know, and I'm kind of going, yeah, okay. You know, this man with a beautiful <laughs> complexion um, is telling me to like how I can look like him, and I'm going, yeah, all right. So I come out of Kiehl's, you know, a hundred quid lighter or something, and you know, with eight plastic bottles, and you know, you don't need that. Like I look no different now. <laughs> To how I to can't ha- judge. <laughs> I, well, I mean, apart from you know the aging process, which is you know only natural. A few less pounds in the pocket as well. Yeah, and you don't need it. A bar of soap is what I have now. Luckily, I don't have mm. to worry about shampoo as a uh, a bald man. My husband has exactly the same beard and haircut as you. Oh wow! Okay. And he also loves a Kiehl's product. Does so, he? Mm. Yeah. Is he? Is, does he have beautiful complexion? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, Um, I think, you know, these kind of things that, again, we're sold a lifestyle and these are all adhere to to that lifestyle. And, you know, they're aspirational products. You know, that's what they are. And really hard to recycle plastic. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't, you know, again, like think about what that impact is, you know, the like buying things in these bottles that are designed to then get chucked away so you go and buy another one. Mm. You know, they're not you don't refill in in keels. You yeah. buy in, you buy a fresh facial toner each yeah. time each time you go in. I do love a skincare product, but I have been um I'm trying to be a bit more conscious and I think it does come down to changing your mindset. I'm making much more use of the things I have. At Christmas, I didn't ask for anything very much. I wanted a bag I had yeah. to be repaired. Yeah. These jeans are vintage, vintage ones. I yeah. buy from charity shops. Yeah. I give to charity shops, but yeah. I think I'm probably quite unusual in yeah. that, possibly, amongst my circle of friends. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose possibly you are. I mean, but I, I am think... unusual, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, um, I think, I think it's a good way of, of living, and I think it, it's actually, you know, plastic enables us to buy a lot of stuff and it enables us to have a lot of stuff very quickly and cheaply Mm. um and you know i'm someone who used to like buying stuff you know i'm not saying i I bought loads of things but you know i liked to go out and buy things that realistically i didn't need and i've cleared a lot of that i've given it away and i try and live well i do live without these things and i live perfectly fine in fact if anything I'm, i'm happier you know without living with all this stuff that i don't even need and i don't even want i'm just told that i want it by cunning marketers yes we're all becoming more conscious (laughs) consumers though and marie kondo and her if it doesn't spark joy i'm i completely conscribe to all that i want to just mention the marketing thing though Mm. do you feel like you're now on the other side we're getting the insider's view on marketing being being sold things we don't need well i think 
I, I've never worked on sort of product. Um, I've I've worked in a lot of events. Okay, so you didn't see anything in your four hundred. 4,490 things that you'd worked on. No. Okay, that's good. My friends work in, um, they work in sort of on-pack marketing agencies. Or they have, they previously did. So that's quite interesting. And I think knowing knowing that and how packaging is a a marketing channel, you know, you look at social media and you'll look at a big billboard or something on the tube, but you also have to realise that you're being salty when you look at a bar of Cadbury's of which there are almost a hundred types of different dairy milk. So you are, you know, they won't have an an ad for each one. You buy them based on how it looks in the packaging. Yeah. So that's, you know, I think again, it's like trying to understand that. And I don't expect everyone to like go into Sainsbury's and go, I'm being marketed to. I, like, get me out of here. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think because people are thinking of different things. Yeah. But you know those. It, it's it's it is how you how you start thinking about it. It's particularly how I've started thinking about it, um, and what the butterfly effect of a, a piece of plastic is. You know, if we look at milk. We had forty thousand milkmen across the country thirty thirty years ago. Now there's not many. And also look at the impact that twenty four seven supermarkets have had on on milk, particularly animal welfare. Uh, how much money farmers make. Um, you know, fewer cows are now producing more milk because there's more demand for milk, you know, and the farmers aren't making nearly as much money as they were. And that's because milk can be sold at any time of the day. Um, and, you know, it's it's always in stock at a, a Tesco or a Sainsbury's. Gosh, I hadn't thought of it like that, but that's so true, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think, we, I think you know, it's something that I'm, I'm interested in looking at those like ripple, that ripple effect of, mm. you know, the invention of plastic and how it's changed our culture and society and, and our economy and our politics. Um, I, I suppose, you know, look at microwave meals, you know, there aren't any microwave meals that come in anything else but plastic. What's the impact of that on our sort of our health, our obesity, nutrition, you know? They were made for astronauts. We're not supposed to eat microwave food. Microwave, it was really? just a way I for them to that. eat, yeah, yeah, eat in space. So is that what what is next for the Everyday Plastic Project? Then your book on how it's changed well, culture. I would, you know, I would love to do that, um, but I think that's something that it's there in the background. But I think the main thing of what I want to do this year is um, I'm setting up as a community interest company. Um, so sort of formalising the project. So I'm open to funding and other sort of forms of income um but the big project that I, I really want to do is a is a national survey um based on my experiment so instead of inviting people to collect their plastic for a year i'd invite them to collect it for a week um then through a website or an app um, or some other database we'd give people instructions on how to enter what they've collected into this database which will then be analyzed by Dr. Julie and myself, and we'll produce a report similar to to the one that um, we produced at the end of last year, but with a much bigger sample size, hopefully to to really affirm the data that we found um, and use it to for people to to get to more to grips with. You know, I, I really want people to connect to this problem, and I think you can only really do that by understanding it through your own your own way and that yeah. is connecting to your to your plastic waste that all sounds amazing so i'm guessing details at everydayplastic.org um yeah i mean it's that's it's very very early on in the in, in the, the in the process embryonic. but it's there it's there and it's something that i'll ensure will happen and hopefully 
if it all goes to plan, which, uh, you know, it rarely does. But <laughs> if it does, then that will be later in the, the year. But yeah, all, all details on everydayplastic.org or on my Instagram, which is at everydayplastic. Amazing. And hopefully you'll come back and talk to us about it as well. Yeah, I'd love to. And we didn't even touch, we should definitely touch, just before I let you go, on the mural. Because you did actually make something beautiful and artistic out of all of your hula hoop packets, yeah. etc., didn't you? Yeah, so we were commissioned to create a big billboard um, at Dreamland in Margate, it's a big sort of theme park there. Um, it's a large photo of every piece of plastic that I collected, and it's all shot at actual size. So we laid everything out to the size of the exact size of the billboard, and we built this big scaffold, attached a camera to it, and took 20 separate photos and made a big composite of it all. Um, again, it's actually very beautiful. We haven't done anything to make it look like that. You know, it's basically just all chucked together. It's the packaging sort of doing its job. It's an insight into my into my life, into my my habits, uh, <laughs> of which you know people have yeah picked up quite a lot on. Really? Yeah. What's the thing you get crisps, most? Crisps. <laughs> people just yeah seem to like go straight for the crisps and to confirm you do eat a lot or the average or i actually eat under the average uh, under the average which, again who would have thought considering <laughs> um but yeah um it's not far off average it's about five or six packs so um <laughs> but yeah so uh, uh you know lots of lots of different things in there but lots of unidentifiable pieces and things that i don't even rem- remember using did i enjoy eating it or using it I don't know, probably not. It's just something, you know, just that something I did, and, you know, without even thinking. And if you do want to see any, any of those images, obviously the Instagram at Everyday Plastic. We always ask guests on the podcast two questions. Mm-hmm. Their favourite plastic item, because it is a good product, Ooh. we're just using it in the wrong way, and their environmental hero. I'll say my laptop. Excellent. Yeah. Laptop. Um, Brilliant. Which... You Which get, we'll use for a very long time. Definitely not single-use plastic, I hope so. and hopefully yeah. recyclable. I'm yeah. sure there's bits in it that can be yeah. recycled yeah. once it yeah. comes to an end. Yeah. Well, who knows? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's it will it'll have its uh, its life cycle. It's planned to be obsolete. I'm sure very soon. Yeah. So My phone's getting there. Hopefully, it with can the battery. be repaired. Yeah. Mm. Um, and um, finally, your um, environmental hero. My please. environmental hero. There's someone I always talk about who probably not that many people know and he's based down in um near me uh down in, in margate down in margate he's called steve mcpherson mm-hmm. and he's he's an artist but he's been collecting plastic from the beaches for uh about 20 years wow and he makes very beautiful pieces out of them i think what he does without shouting about it is sort of make you understand that what you use lasts a long time like highlighting um, the problem through yeah, the art basically yeah exactly and he'll never like preach or spout a lot about it because i know he's he's very focused on what he creates but i know that it's something that he, he cares about i've been to his studio and the amount of stuff that he's collected over the, the years is absolutely staggering it's almost like a trip down memory lane you, you know you see like old toys that you used to have when i was you know 13 you know he's got bags full of false teeth <gasps> fake nails oh my god you know cocktail swords you know he's got hundreds of these that he's just found on this one stretch of beach so he is because he re- he really provoked a lot of of thought in in how i think about this now as well and 
I'd recommend everyone to go and have a look at it as well. Amazing. We'll definitely put the links up um, in all the show notes for the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on the Age of Plastic podcast. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much. This episode should really have been sponsored by a crisp brand, I now realise. I love how Daniel has just taken an idea and run with it and seems to have even bigger plans. Plus, he seems to have the same feelings as me about recycling hieroglyphics and what needs to change. And he seems to have the same feelings as me about recycling hieroglyphics. I'll link to that episode and all of the links to everything that Daniel mentioned will be in the show notes wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Age of Plastic podcast. I'm off to eat some hula hoops. Thank <laughs> you.